forward-looking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios, Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, show where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have a great show for you. Way back in July, we had a really interesting guest talking about the, kind of like the backstory of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and some characters we didn't even know about that were so important in our foundation and who we are. Bill of Rights. We all know about the Bill of Rights. But do we really know about them? We're going to have an arbitrator for the state of Illinois, his attorney of law. He's author of several constitutional books, David Shostokas. And after that, Jason and I are going to do some cop talk. And then we go into stupid suspect stories and heroic headlines and so much more. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association in this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. I'm really excited to talk to our next guest. Uh, he is a scholar, uh, has to do with constitutional law. He is an arbitrator for the state of Illinois, again, attorney at law, but don't hold that against him because he's a good guy. Uh, he is. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Davis Shostokas, uh, thank you so much for joining us again. We had had such a delightful time talking to you about the, uh, well, Independence Day, you know, Declaration of Independence and talking about our forefathers and some of the funny backstories. And during that time, uh, somebody was talking to me about the Bill of Rights because it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, and I, 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 I hate to say it, I did not know the foundation or the formation or ratification, if you will, of the Bill of Rights. Now, I can, I can probably tell you eight of them uh, from my days in, in college, but not how it started, not the backstory, if you will. And four or five of them are based on police work. You know, the, we always say, you know, you know he's going to plead the fifth. You know, we, we even say it as part of our vernacular. Uh, how about you, Jason? Do you feel the same way? I mean, we know about Bill Rice, but do we really? Yeah, and unlike you, I did not go to college, so I probably wouldn't get all the way up to eight of them. I'm excited to hear some of the backstory on this. I was bragging. That's not a good thing to brag about. You only know eight of the Bill of Rights. <laughs> so without further ado, David, welcome and educate us, my friend. How did the Bill of Rights get started? And why isn't there a holiday the 15th of December? Yeah, that's a very, very good. That's a good question to start with. But we'll back up to one other thing. You apologize about my being an attorney. A part of a good chunk of my career, I actually was spent as a Cook County, Illinois prosecutor. So I've been on your team, guys. Oh, you're always uh, on our team, yay. my friend. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, but the, in, and in terms of you saying that you know eight of them, I'm not going to ask you to ask you to answer this because it would probably be embarrassing because only one of the the bill of rights is made of of course the first 10 amendments of the constitution the first amendment itself actually has five rights within it and only one in a thousand americans can actually name all five rights in the first amendment let alone uh, let alone eight of the other ten. wow yeah i have freedom of speech that that's all i got for you <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. get schooled today yeah. aren't i <laughs> yes you are robin so yeah. interesting well, the, the first right the first right in the first amendment is the freedom of religion then you've got freedom of speech then you've got freedom of press and then of course there's uh, freedom of assembly but here's a here's an interesting story that i start many of my talks out with 
that in fact we often you you may hear the phrase from time to time that if you don't exercise or protect a right it will go away and the reason nobody knows the fifth right in the first amendment is because in fact we've lost it and because it hasn't been exercised and it wasn't put there you know of course with i mentioned there's there's like the all-stars in the first amendment the speech and religion and press and assembly you know those are all-star rights the last right in the First Amendment, and I'm not going to put anybody on the spot because there's a good chance that you won't recognize this, but, or you'll recognize it when you hear it, but you will have no idea what it means. And that's petition the government for redress of grievances. And that's the fifth right in the First Amendment, and nobody knows that because, in fact, it's gone. Wow. Inter- Why did it go? What, tell us about that. Well, the petition right, you know, you remember these guys that were writing all this stuff, did stuff very, very methodically, and they did stuff on purpose, and they wouldn't have put something with those all-stars if, to them, it wasn't as important as speech, religion, press, and assembly. But it petitioned the government for redress of grievances doesn't mean, like, write a letter to your congressman or send an email to your senator or sign a petition to the president. What it actually meant in the colonial days, in the early days of the Republic, was private citizens had the absolute right to bring to the legislature problems and things that they wanted to take wanted taken care of, and the legislature had an absolute duty to respond. Citizens actually used to write laws that would then go to uh, go to committee and be entertained, and then then introduced and voted up or down in the in the legislatures. And so this was uh, this was the longstanding uh, colonial and then early days of the republic tradition. And in the 1850s, and, it, and it, it continued, but in the 1840s and 1850s, Congress was inundated with petitions from citizens and proposed laws for the abolition of slavery. And the Congress was in particularly the Congress was largely controlled by the Democratic Party in those days. And the Democrats in those days put together and passed in the Congress something called the gag rule that the Congress determined that they were no longer going to entertain any petitions under the petition the government for address of grievances that had to do had anything to do with slavery. Because at that time, and, the Democrats were the slave owners. Yeah, precisely. Precisely, they represented the uh, they represented the slave owners, and it was extraordinarily embarrassing that they were getting inundated with petitions under the fifth provision of the First Amendment to entertain bills and laws for the abolition of slavery or the limitations of slavery. It was all it was all kinds of petitions in that regard, and the they put together what was called the gag rule and automatically did not have any hearings and automatically tabled any kind of uh, things to, having to do with slavery. And then, of course, we, that devolved into the Civil War. And uh, subsequent to the Civil War, apparently Congress got comfortable with not entertaining any petitions anymore at all. And the fifth right of the First Amendment, nobody knows it exists because it's actually gone. You know, can, can you imagine what would happen today if you walked into into the United States House of Representatives and drop the bill in the hopper and say, I want, uh, I want an up or down vote on this from the uh, U.S. House of Representatives. That's actually what the fifth, uh, fifth right of the First Amendment requires. But they don't do it. They won't entertain it. They won't even let you get close to the hopper, right? You know, that's interesting because there's a lot of people uh, that talk about the Second Amendment. And can I segue, if you will, to the Second Amendment, sure. the right to keep and bear arms? There's a lot of folks um, that have strong views one way or the other. Um, there's those that feel that it's outdated, that uh, when you talk about militias, when you talk about these sort of things, that the Second Amendment needs to be looked at. Does the fact that we have part of the First Amendment that's no longer applicable give credence to that argument that they can even talk about the Second Amendment? What's your stance on that? Well, it certainly doesn't give any credence to it. You know, one of these days, if I'm retired and have nothing else to do, I might go to Washington and drop a bill in the hopper and have them ignored and sue the Congress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, be that as it may, the uh, those, those arguments about the uh, something being outdated or no longer applicable. It, those go along with this uh, silly idea 
that we have a living Constitution. Justice Scalia, of course, got it right when he said the Constitution is, in fact, a dead document. It is what it is when it was written. If you want to change it, then there's a process by which to do that, and that's the amendment process in Article 5 of the Constitution. It hasn't, you can't just, you should not be just changing it by uh, judicial in, fiat. Interpreting judicial based fiat. on the times. You don't interpret it based on the times. Isn't It's interpreted by what the forefathers wanted, period. Is that what you're saying? It's interpreted, it's, well, it's, like, it's like any law. You guys enforce all kinds of law. You know, theoretically, when you go to a stop sign, it doesn't mean a Hollywood stop, right? You know, <laughs> That's it's, right. It's, it's, There's it's discretion. Stop. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a stop. And, um, you know, it doesn't say there's a there's a different provision for that. You know, you, you can yield. Right. But that's what the law says. And if you don't like the stop sign at that location, then you go to your municipal government or whoever's in charge of putting that. Say, listen, we don't really need a stop sign there. There's not that much traffic or whatever. And then they change the law. Well, there's provisions for changing the Constitution, and we need to use them. You don't just change it because you think the times have changed. Then let's talk about the Second Amendment. Let's talk about the right to um, you know, keep and bear arms. Can you talk about how that started and why? I think I know, based on Revolutionary War and uh, the, you know, needing a militia to protect our country. But tell me what the forefathers or who the forefather was on that one. Well, I, of course— those uh, much of the uh, each and every one of the uh, amendments has a, has a backstory to it. There's a story for the religion provision, the speech provision, there's, and the stories, of course, for the uh, Second Amendment. But there's over time they also became kind of a conglomerate of stories. But I would suggest that uh, the biggest portion of the Second Amendment had to do with the concerns that they had of government overreach and the citizens' ability to protect themselves from the government. It really didn't have, it, it has some things to do with uh, self-defense, and, but it has nothing to do with people saying, well, you should be able to have them to go hunting or sports or, or things like that. It, it was the very serious matter of keeping the government contained. Of course, uh, as you, you guys probably know some history, but you know, the very first thing that Anybody like the like when the Soviet Union was born and the government got in, or the communists got in charge, the first thing they did was take everybody's guns. Yes. First thing the Nazi did was take everybody's guns. One of the certainly an armed citizenry, citizens having weapons, is for the protection of the citizens against the government. That was uh, that was their biggest uh, that was their biggest concern at the time, uh, and. That was what was really, really expressed in the uh, in the Second Amendment. And when you get right down to it, now Justice Scalia in the uh, in the two cases uh, did a great historical analysis of uh, the evolution of the uh, Second Amendment and the right to uh, keep and bear arms. But the the fact is, is the bottom line is it was there to protect citizens from the government. And frankly. Uh, I would argue that uh, registration of guns is because is is unconstitutional. You know, I mean, they said you know Congress shall pass no law. You know, but this they're passing all kinds of laws that restrict those things. And uh, you know, certainly uh, the libertarian view and the view that uh, you can uh, you can trust most people. And uh, my my own personal belief is, in fact, that of course, if the, if the, you have an armed citizenry, then uh, Crime's going to go down because the bad guys don't know who they can who they can pick on. So that, but the the backstory there is a little more cloudy if you want to take it back to Lexington and Concord and uh, the fact that what uh, what really started the revolution was in fact uh, British soldiers on their way to an armory uh, to confiscate guns and ammo from uh, from the folks in Massachusetts that they had stored separately and that was the very first physical skirmish is that the british were going to try and collect the uh, collect the arms guns and arms and uh, ammunition that belonged to uh, belonged to the uh, colonists and so that's really the very first thing that i mean that's where the very first shots were fired that's conquered the very first absolutely spent, Shut- what, uh, and spent and so that's uh, that was a strong point but if we go back to the uh, of course, the Constitution itself was proposed without uh, Bill of Rights. 
and there were a whole a lot of uh, a lot of folks that were in opposition to the Constitution, uh, just because it did not have built into it uh, a Bill of Rights. Uh, George Mason uh, from Virginia was uh, was among the more uh, more critical, outspoken folks. Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death, was also among the more more uh, outspoken critics of the Constitution. And uh, the folks that were in favor of it made a promise, James Madison primarily, uh, primarily among them. And they made a promise during the ratification process of the Constitution. The Constitution was sent out for ratification in 1787. And uh, by early 1789, it, got, uh, it was ratified. Actually, the, the ninth state was in 1788. But they promised, okay, it, kinda, if, if, you, if you ratify the Constitution, the first thing that the new Congress will do is, in fact, add a Bill of Rights and add the amendments. And unlike a whole lot of people that make promises today from uh, that are politicians, uh, the very first Congress on the very first day, James Madison was elected to the first Congress, uh, formed the committee, and then they proposed uh, the Bill of Rights in response to. I, there's a, uh, an article on my website uh, called "Promises Made, Promises Kept," and that shows that one of the most honorable things these guys did is they said, you know, if you pass the Constitution, we'll adopt the Constitution, we'll add the Bill of Rights. How many how many times have you heard that from our political folks in the last 200 years? And it never happened. Uh, that, you know, if you do this, but Madison and the very first Congress did, in fact, propose the Bill of Rights. They uh, actually proposed 13, 10 of which got adopted, three of which were originally rejected, one of which uh, turned into the uh, 23rd Amendment, uh, 212 years after they were in 1993, uh, one of the, one of the original 13 that were proposed, uh, and but it had to do uh, more with uh, uh, legislative pay raises and limitations on how the uh, Congress could do that. So there's a there's one hanging out there that was among the original 13 that were proposed that was uh, was not adopted at the time. I'm going to so I'm going to ask you about the 4th because I know there's a connection with James Madison on the 4th which for a lot of cops they know what that is search and seizure. Uh can can you tell me that story? Sure. Uh, back in the uh, 1760s, uh, actually in the 1750s this kind of started. There was uh, something called the writs of assistance that were the equivalent of search warrants, if you will, that were issued by the king, but they lasted, and they were given, they were provided to a king's agent, and they lasted for the life of the king plus six months, <laughs> and they gave the and they gave the agents of the king the authority and the power, literally, with no probable cause to go into somebody's home or somebody's barn or uh, check out somebody's uh, ship or do this or that, literally with no probable cause, no particular reason to uh, upend whatever was there and see if they could find any particular kind of contraband. And in 1760, there was a lawyer by the name of James Otis who filed, uh, filed suit uh, against that saying that these writs of assistance were in violation of the constitutional traditions of uh, Great Britain, and we could go into that, but kind of Great Britain doesn't have a written constitution. It has a kind of constitutional traditions, and that this was violative of the rights of Englishmen. And there's a really famous, you can look up James Otis's arguments in, on the uh, writs of assistance cases in 1760. They went on for about five and a half hours. Otis talked about the the insult to the rights of Englishmen on the, on the, regarding the existence of the writs of assistance. Uh, Otis lost the case, but sitting in the courtroom, taking notes during the course of those whole five hours, was a young guy by the name of James Madison. James Madison uh, saw, the, saw the arguments against this, and he saw the abuses that, that accrued to giving essentially the, the king's agents carte blanche to go into people's homes and do what they want, take what they want, see what's there, and then uh, arrest people as, as, as they will, willy-nilly. And James Madison's experience with the writs of, uh, originally with the writs of assistance cases and being in the courtroom when Otis was making these incredible arguments, which were the very first arguments in the history of the law, 
that there should be such uh, kinds of restrictions resulted in uh, Madison drafting what became the Fourth Amendment, which, of course, has to do with limitations on uh, arrest or search and seizure of people or property without, uh, without probable cause and without uh, prior, uh, in, most, in most instances, without prior approval by a neutral magistrate. And I know you guys have uh, no doubt gone before judges to uh, uh, provide what evidence you have uh, regarding a, a warrant and the, what you need to, for a warrant to uh, conduct a search or uh, perhaps in a situation when there's appropriate time to arrest somebody. I've presented uh, hundreds of warrants applications on behalf of uh, officers that I represented. And, but you can trace that back to the arguments of James Otis in a courtroom in 1760 fighting the king i love that i love that um there's one that very few people know about uh i just remember it because it was it's um an outlier if you will in terms of it was not typical of what you think the uh, rights would be and so forth and that was a third uh can you really quick tell us about third because i've gone in and with the homeowner's permission i've um, went into house and I watched the neighbors that and were you know doing surveillance and so forth. But there was a time where soldiers could take over a home for quarters. Can you talk about that one? Oh, it was that actually was a law passed by Parliament uh, in the um, in the seventeen. It was about seventeen sixty five. It was called the Quartering Act, and it required um, homeowners to not only. Uh, allow soldiers to um, come and live in their houses. It actually required them to give um, give them food, and there was actually provision provision in the law for uh, like coffee, a shot of whiskey, a coffee day and donuts, like that. coffee and donuts. Uh, no, there was literally a requirement to give them whiskey. Uh, <laughs> wow! And uh, and uh, that was uh, that was particular requirement of the uh, of the quartering acts of seventeen sixty five. And that is the uh, genesis of the of the Third Amendment, which, of course, uh, says no soldiers shall um, be quartered in uh, people's homes except in time of war without the uh, without the owner's permissions. And it was uh, always considered to be, of course, soldiers. Uh, Third Amendment has had some new life in the arguments of uh, certain civil libertarians, uh, given what people characterize as the militarization of our uh, of our police forces and that they should be considered uh, the equivalent of the soldiers of uh, 1765. And uh, you mentioned that you went with the homeowner's permission, which of course does not uh, implicate the Third Amendment. I'm trying to remember about 15 years ago or so, there was in fact a uh, matter in Las Vegas where uh, a police, some police uh, commandeered uh, some people's homes so they uh, people's homes and they stayed there for an extended period of time so that they could uh, monitor what was going on at a uh, alleged drug house uh, like next door and it was in fact without the homeowner's permission and as far as i know that case settled out of court but the uh, but the basis of the lawsuit was in fact the the third amendment and uh, saying that the police are the equivalent now of the military uh, and that was the argument. But there's actually only been one case in uh, court that's ever had an appellate court case uh, revolving around the Third Amendment. And that was when some uh, prison guards were ousted from their homes uh, and they had sent in the army to uh, quell a, um, quell a prison, uh, prison revolt, if you will, in an upstate New York prison. And they, uh, the army actually ousted the prison guards because part of their pay was... Uh, was having residences on the property, and the army actually ousted the uh, ousted the prison guards so that they could do that. And uh, there was some some small settlement with the uh, with the prison guards, and that actually that is the single case in the uh, history of the country that was decided on the basis of the Third Amendment. I guess the big question is, did they get their whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny because in in England, they had Robert Peel, and that's why they're called Bobbies, and and Scotland Yard had to do with his home, with the courtyard. I know more about English, the the creation of law enforcement, if you will, than I do the Bill of Rights. If you had to give a single person credit for kind of like the the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, um, you know, which really is about police work, who would that be? Would that be James Madison? 
Well, James Madison ultimately made the promise, but of course, and that, and he was the mover and shaker in keeping the promise. But I would suggest to you that just about every provision that you can find in the Bill of Rights, including the provisions related to the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth, would be found in the grievances against the king from the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson wrote out 27 different things that they were complaining about regarding the king. And those grievances included searching their homes and uh, having trials in faraway places and not, uh, not having jury trials. There's a, laundry, there's a laundry list of about 27 things that they argue uh, is reason why we should have our independence. And James Madison lifted a whole bunch of that list and converted it into the Bill of Rights. Then I so think if you want to go back to somebody, I might go back to Jefferson. I love it. I love it. I love going back to him. Well, that wraps it up for our guests regarding the Bill of Rights. David, I can't thank you enough. And we are going to be right back with Cop Talk. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys, in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association in this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Bad Boys, everybody. Darren, that was a great segment. I got to tell you, I mean, I didn't say much uh, in that first segment. I was just so fascinated and sitting here like, hey, I'm learning a lot. And that doesn't happen very often. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and another reason I didn't chime in too much, uh, I am on the phone with you guys today, and I definitely miss being in studio with you, but I'm calling from beautiful Orlando. I am at the happiest place on earth. Well, I'm not actually at Disney World, but I'm very close, right down the street. Wait a, a minute, wait a hotel. minute. I thought the studio was your happiest place on Wednesday. I think you meant second favorite place. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I, I know, but... But the uh, Star Worldwide Networks is not commonly referred to as the happiest place on Earth. <laughs> Disney World. It is so, when I'm here. Uh, Come on now. Uh, I, uh, well, well, we'll have to get Dave to work on his marketing plan. <laughs> but, um, uh, I am definitely in a, a great place. It's yeah, it's in the low 50s here, and I love Orlando. It's, uh. It's a great place. I flew here yesterday to speak to the National Association of Government Employees, and it's pretty cool. I mean, there's there's a lot of cops, a lot of firefighters, a lot of municipal workers, um, public works, transportation. I met a cop from Boise, Idaho. There's a bunch of guys from Massachusetts. It's kind of a, all spread out. It's been it was a lot of fun. A great group to talk to and share my story and and my perspectives on life with uh, has some great reactions. So I had a lot of fun. And uh, Darren, I was, wanted to bring up something. We could talk about this, I guess, because I'm a little detached today, so it's easier to talk about. But I travel all over the country. It's just an incredible thing, and it's always positive for me. Everything that I'm doing, every place I'm going, loves the places I, I see and the people I meet. But the recurring negative theme that keeps popping up every time I travel is – how differently I view the drivers in other parts of the country in a good way. And it, it reinforces that where I live in Phoenix, things are getting kind of out of control. In, and that's probably a strong opinion that a lot of people disagree with. But we have a ridiculous amount of car accidents, fatalities. I think we lead the nation in red light running fatalities. You drive anywhere in Phoenix. And when I say Phoenix, I'm talking also Scottsdale, Tempe, Greater Phoenix Gilbert, area. Chandler, so right, yeah, I'm talking about the valley because it's all attached and the freeways 
all run. You know, you can look at a tweet just a few weeks ago from uh, um, Frank Milstead, the director of DTS. I think in 2019, there's been over 300 deaths on Arizona highways, 300 people. And you got to imagine that almost every one of them is preventable. These are, it's the most dangerous thing we do every day is get into a car. And the, the way people in Phoenix, to me, at least all I see is aggression, disrespect. You don't use your blinker. You just weaving in and out of lanes. They treat uh, 40 mile an hour to them is like a, uh, just a bad suggestion. And, you know, it's, a lot of people, you know, if you're not a cop, you don't maybe not know what a criminal speed is, but 20 over, you can go to jail and I'll be in a 40 mile an hour zone doing, uh, watching people blow by me doing 65 and 75. And it, it's sad. It's astonishing. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on, again, I'm probably being very judgmental of my hometown and I apologize if I'm pissing anybody off, but the drivers in Phoenix, I don't see it anywhere else in this country. It is absolutely, to me, the worst place. You know, it's funny. Uh, so many times, and as we talk to the audience, we talk about how we do things here, very impromptu, organic. Uh, we don't know what the other view is on things, as our my badge brother Jason mentions all the time. I can't agree stronger. I really can't. Um, and I have, a, I have a belief on that. We are so shorthanded with Phoenix po- police. Um, you know, when you look at another... St- uh, city like size city like philadelphia or san diego um, they have about approximately the same amount of people they have three times the amount of police officers we have such right. a shortage and then when you don't see those motor officers or just patrol officers but especially motor officers because you get stopped by a motor you're getting a ticket it's just a matter of how many <laughs> with a patrol officer you there's we do discretion a lot and but with a motor yeah. god you're gonna get a ticket When's the last time you've seen a motor? I mean, when's the last time you've seen a motor other than on some type of parade or some type of event or some type of security detail? When's the last time you just saw a motor take an accident? I think we're, I think that's part of the issue. I really do. It's a huge part of the issue. I drove my son to, to Vegas a couple weeks ago for a baseball tournament. And I, I noticed from the time I left my house in Phoenix until I crossed the Nevada line, I saw one cop the entire trip one thank you and that's part of the reason why it is so incredibly dangerous so with that being said tell me your thoughts on uh, you know the, the greater Phoenix area has gone back and forth the last decade or so on photo radars and the you know there could be an argument made for it's just a money grab and a big brother watching you know real police can't be out there to catch you then it's like a tree falling in the forest doesn't make any noise but then there also be an argument the whole purpose of speed enforcement enforcement of traffic laws is to change driving behavior well if you have no reason to to be deterred from driving recklessly speeding weaving in and out of traffic then you're going to continue to do it so uh, there's a big part of me now and I probably didn't feel this way in my 30s, but as I approach 50 and I'm getting old and crotchety, I'm like, you know what? Let's put a let's put a photo radar camera uh, like every quarter mile because I just want to give a big fu to all the people out there who think that they can endanger the rest of our safety and disrespect our time by driving like assholes. You know, it's funny because this is a perfect point where we will differ a little bit, but not in the principle. You're absolutely right, in my opinion, as it relates to um, um, enforcement. Enforcement action is to keep our streets safe. Um, there's times where, as a patrol officer, I wrote very few tickets. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't a ticket guy because um, it'd, be, it'd be hypocritical because I do go over the speed limit. But like you said, there's that nine mile per hour over where you know we give a discretion, uh, and then there's people that now look at it as it's not even a suggestion. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a it's a hindrance <laughs> yeah. of, you know, I want to go fast. Um, right. But the problem I have with the photos um, at the intersections is most of that money that is a cost to put those things up goes to a private business. It's, it's not the city that runs. It's not the city that controls it. It's a private business. The cities pay out to these these companies then the money that is made from the enforcement 
goes to the cities to reimburse the cost of it. Um, and again, I'm not a, a cost guy, but if we are talking about money, I'd much rather have two cops out on the street patrolling than I would uh, the camera. The one thing oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I do like about cameras is that many times detectives will be able to utilize those, as you well know, uh, they're streaming. So even though there, it's a photo that's provided as evidence to the um, driving infraction, it's actually streaming, so it's video, if you will. And many times right. you can find evidentiary value with those videos. Now, having said that, uh, you know what? You can't walk around the <laughs> large cities like uh, Phoenix and San Diego and Philadelphia and Chicago and L.A. without being caught on somebody's surveillance camera, whether it's <laughs> ring at true. the home or whether. So I, I don't think the the cost of the cameras outweighs the cost of providing police officers boots on the street. So that's the only difference I have maybe with you in that regard is I think you're right in terms of at least they're slowing people down when they think there's a camera in the intersection because they're getting ridiculous. But you know where I kind of think all this boils to is we don't have good driver education in our schools. And Arizona schools are one of the worst in the country in regards to school period. And so I wonder if other states um, and again, you know, I've traveled like you, not as much as you, but you know, when I'm on my book tours, I, I've been traveling and I go to California, you, you can't turn a corner without seeing a cop. If you're in San Bernardino, you see the <laughs> Riverside police, you see the San Bernardino County police and you see the state police, you see everybody. You, you, and yeah. I'm not even exaggerating. I, I could not believe how many cops you see when you drive into California and, and other places as well. And I think that people drive better in those other places because there's police presence they drive better because they're more educated when we when i learn how to drive it's all about driving as a community you you did certain things as a community minded like for example i this is my pet peeve when you go into a uh a, a green light you go in and you want to turn left you go a little bit into the intersection to allow somebody behind you to be able to make that light cycle as well now people right. just stay way behind once it turns yellow then they rush an intersection and they're actually creating more of a danger because there's people that are green running where they wait for that they see that light turning green and then they run it and now they're hitting that person who's just now going into an intersection on the yellow so I think it's more dangerous I, I think we need better education what's your thought oh I agree with that I mean I sent I sent my kids to uh, one of the top driving schools just because it was a bunch of retired cops and Good for I knew you. they were going to get they were in it well it not only did they get the education as far as on the road, but these guys would also show the pictures of here's what happens when you text and drive. Here's what happens when you drive too fast. And when you get shown some very graphic pictures of what can happen to your body, uh, I think it helps the, the teenagers. I, as far as schools, I mean, I shoot, I went to high school in the eighties and I don't remember even having driver's ed in my high school back then. So I'm sure it's only gotten, uh, less, but, in some ways, too, it's sad that we sit here and talk about, I, I couldn't agree more about, I wish we had the money and boots on the ground, more cops is, is awesome. But we're talking about a deterrent, and you mentioned your pet peeve. The thing that drives me crazy and causes me to, to understand why road rage exists is right here. People, everybody on the road has somewhere to go. They have people that they love and who love them. And for a chosen few to disregard that and disrespect other people's time and safety, it truly, I can't even wrap my head around it sometimes. It, it pisses me off so bad. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. And you get in your car and you have that an, anonymity all of a sudden. You know what I mean? You're, yes. You can't see other people's faces. You can't hear their voices. You don't, you're not considered that they're, their families or that they are also trying to get to work and they're, uh, or to whatever event, just like you. And so why is it so easy for people? Uh, now if you're on the freeway and everybody's doing 80, then fine, go 80. My, what I'm talking about are things like down Camelback road when everybody's doing 45 or 47, which is still speeding. And then you have one or two people, that are doing 60 and weaving in and out of traffic. That is insane to me that, that people do that and could, could care less about anybody else on the road. 
I love that because that kind of goes back to what I'm talking about community. When we learn, when, and again, I'm old. I'm <laughs> I'm beyond crotchety. I'm darn crotchety. Um, <laughs> Only sixty. Um, we were taught how to drive as a community, and like you're talking about, yeah. people are into themselves. The rudeness. It, I'll give you one anecdote. In fact, it'll perfect. It'll wrap up the the segment. Um, and not to go into poor me, but when I lost my son, of course, it was the end of the world for me. And I was despondent beyond measure. And one of the days afterwards, as you're trying to prepare the funeral and, and you just you're just you're in a fog and I'm at a light it's a red light. And I was the first one up there and it turned green and I wasn't quick on it. I was still in that fog state and the person behind me laid on the horn like there was no tomorrow it wasn't just that beep beep you know let hey you know wake up sort of thing which is fine and good for you even though the horn should be used as an emergency tool and not as a disciplinary tool but uh, um you know and they just laid on it like they were so angry so mad because oh my god they had to wait less than a second i'm talking a fraction of a second before it clicked in my mind and i remember thinking i'm never going to use a, a horn again um, because I could be blaring on someone who's having the worst day of their life. And if we just yeah. kind of think in terms of, like you said, Jason, we all have lives, we all have things going on in our lives, we all have tragedies, we all have somewhere we're going. We just need to be nicer to each other on the road, and that would alleviate probably 80% of the woes we have in at least Phoenix. And I know this national show, it goes all over the world. Um, you, there could be a city out there, you listening audience that you have that same issue. And, and uh, again, I think that's one that there's probably a lot of problems, but it's that rudeness. We need to be, think as a community. I think that's a great way to wrap it up uh, and a great discussion. Now I'm pretty all tense and fired up. I'm glad I'm, going to get on an airplane for four hours <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need to have you come back and we need to do some heroic headlines we need some inspirational messages my friend <laughs> all, right, all right let's do it let's do it we'll be right back more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys we'll be back right after this I remember, the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADA in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. You know, I had a lot of fun doing that because that was just me and Jason talking about our our pet peeves with driving. But I got a feeling <laughs> I I got you ratcheted up there, buddy, because you start talking about road rage and your your blood pressure is probably steaming, thinking about the you have to come back to Phoenix to drive. So I think we need a heroic headline to put us in a good place. Well, my heroic headline for this week, uh, once again, it's always the, the small things it's the random acts of kindness and i love when something is outside of your job description and last night when i landed in orlando uh you know i got to my hotel and was in the frenzy of getting unpacked and getting to my dinner appointment and uh, all the stuff that i was wrapped up in before my speech this morning and i turned on the tv and it was one of the local news channels uh, and they were featuring a story on three albany police officers who took it upon themselves to shovel the driveway of a 92 year old woman's home and i just i sat there i kind of stopped what i was doing I watched the TV and I just let out a big exhale like, you know what, you guys are winning at life and way to way to do something outside of the norm and represent all of us. And those guys, uh, you know, I wish I knew them all by name. Uh, they are definitely my heroes. And I hope that all cops out there will focus on uh, 
just trying to do something outside of your job description and, and better our community. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's now bring me back down. bring on your rage and there's nothing better to bring on a rage than when i talk about lawyers uh (laughs) even though we loved our last guest uh um david talking about the bill of rights uh i do have a stupid suspect story that involves a lawyer the uh, headline is high profile criminal lawyer drops a bag of cocaine outside the court yeah, it really happened. Now, this happened in Australia. We had to go in another country. But uh, Corey Cullen, 29 years old, is a high, one of those fancy criminal lawyers, defends anyone for anything for the right buck. So it couldn't happen to a, a better guy. Uh, he dropped a, what they call a clip seal, just a baggie, you know, uh, containing 1.4 grams of cocaine. And that's a, that's, that's a party. That's a party. Uh, while leaving court in Brisbane, Australia. So as he's leaving court defending some, you know, shithead, excuse my language, uh, he drops a bag of cocaine. The judge, they all see it. It was hilarious. Um, his defense, which they call it a barrister, but his defense attorney said that Colin had, and th- this is the excuse that the barrister used, he'd gone out that night before and wrote himself off on alcohol and, and used drugs. Now, he doesn't own 365 suits. He doesn't have a suit for each day of the week. So he put, and by the way, this is quote. So he put on the suit he had been wearing when he was partying and forgot the drugs were there. That was the excuse. It wasn't even, these aren't my drugs. It was, you know, I don't have 365 suits. So, you know, what am I going to do? Why would you wear a suit if you're going to a party? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, not only is it a bad excuse, it's a BS excuse. He also said that the, I like this, he, the barrister, his defense attorney, because again, he's a de- lawyer, so he didn't talk himself. He has his attorney do it. Uh, he also said that the bankruptcy of Cullen's family construction company in 2016 and the police raids on his previous law firm impacted his client in a negative way. So really, it's the police's fault, right? <laughs> because we messed with him and his illegal law firm. Uh, it's hilarious. But you know what the saddest thing about this stupid suspect story is, Jason? Oh, I- he was ordered to serve 80 hours of community service, and that's it. No conviction was recorded. It's good to be a lawyer, apparently. It's great to be. He probably defended himself. Can we put him on the chain gang wearing the suit in 120-degree heat? <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm thinking community service is him inventing a, a dark-colored a baggie, so he won't get caught next time. I got a feeling that's what the community service is going to be. But yeah, justice was not served. Uh, I like the chain gang thing. I do. Yeah, I do, put him Robin. in a three-piece suit on the chain gang out here in Arizona summertime and make him do community service, cleaning up trash. Yeah, and make him walk here from Australia. That's right. Swim across the ocean. <laughs> Okay, our number two stupid suspect hails from Arkansas, Arkadelphia. Is that a, is that a place, Arkadelphia? I've never heard it's of like it. It's like Philadelphia, but Arkansas. Um, okay. Two uh, Henderson State University professors, you know, almost as bad as lawyers, right? Real close. Uh, two Henderson State University professors were arrested on meth and drug lab charges. We're talking Breaking Bad Part 2. Uh, too stupid. Uh, Dr. Terry Bateman, 45, and Dr. Bradley Rowland, 40, were arrested on manufacture of methamphetamines on the college campus. A student said, quote, I think it's crazy. Like, I should talk like this student. I think it's crazy. Like, I've never been exposed to this in meth on a college campus. I heard rumors, and it's true. Yeah, that was the, uh, the student who uh, said that there was rumors all about the uh, college, about these two, two professors in the science lab. That's right. Right out of Breaking Bad. Uh, the Reynolds Science Center was closed due to a port of an undetermined chemical odor. Yeah, that's called meth, friends. That was a, that was a meth lab on a college campus. Henderson State University. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you get college credit if you take part in that experiment? Yeah. Right. You know how you had to do those labs? <laughs> yes. That, that's a lab. Wow. <laughs> that's Talk a about a new lab. meeting yeah. for a mule. You pass, you pass chemistry. Right <laughs> so the students might have been the mules, right? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So, I again, this is disgusting. We're talking about professors and lawyers. I, there's. One, two of my worst people in the world, other than our friend uh, David Stokokis, who is a prosecutor. So we love prosecutors. I need you to take yes. us to a nice place. I really do, because I'm, I'm getting angry at lawyers who got no justice and uh, 
professors or teaching kids how to cook meth? Well, you know what? Based on what we talked about in Cop Talk and uh, something I closed my speech out this morning with, uh, and this, this part's true, when you wake up every day and you make a conscious decision, have a goal, put forth an effort to leave the day better than you found it, you you will always feel better. You will always feel and see a positive shift and some momentum in your life. It's just, I promise you that's true. I've been doing it for a long time. And so based on today's show, I just think uh, no matter where you are right now, no matter what environment or what time you're listening, just challenge yourself right now to do something positive, do a random act of kindness and leave the next meeting you walk into, the next room, the next store, the next gas station, leave it better than you found it. I'm about to jump in an Uber. I'm going to, I don't care who it is. I'm going to have a great conversation. I'm going to treat everybody at the Orlando airport as best I can. And I know that when I get on the plane, I'm going to feel very good. And in some ways it's selfish, but in a lot of ways it makes a difference towards somebody else. And you just talked a little while ago about somebody laying on the horn in the middle of your worst day. We are all fighting a battle that other people don't know anything about. So just be kind to each other, please. A smile Thank is you, contagious. Everybody. Love it. We will, uh, uh, it is contagious. And uh, I can't wait to be back in the studio with you guys next week. And uh, God bless everybody. We'll see you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.